It's a seagull like the bird, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you're in Salt Lake? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's not relevant to this at all. Okay, <laughs> okay cool. No, just kidding. Also, it is. Brendan is a social worker. You're a social worker? Mental yeah, health background. Yeah, I, I think that is kind of relevant to this storyline. This is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This week's book is The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, which was published in 1951. Joining us today is Brendan Siegel, a social worker from Salt Lake City. Brendan, tell us about yourself and your connection to the book. Hi, um, my connection with the book, let's see, it probably was in high school, like a lot of, I think it was on like a AP lit summer reading thing that we had to do, um, and I think, yeah, I definitely read it in high school, I also think I was interested in it because of the book Perks of Being a Wallflower was really, uh, shaped a lot of people in my circle, and I think he references in it he references it in the book. I think it's loosely based off of it. So yeah, uh, I definitely read it a lot in my earlier days in high school and after. So that's how I kind of got, got into this book. Yeah. I would also argue that you're kind of a big JD Salinger fan. So you've read all the books. I think I have read, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe all of them. Definitely the big ones. Um, this was the first one I read which is fun because it's not a part of the whole uh, universe that he created outside of this book. I do think it does belong in the universe. I think Holden for sure is a part of the Glass family universe, but um, I don't think they mention anything about his other books in this one at all. He kind of leaves it Mm -hmm. alone when most of his other books are like tied together through a family and trauma. I'm going to try my hardest not to say the word trauma in this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> me too i say it too much <laughs> and it loses its meaning <laughs> yeah i heard uh, this book was written as if buddy glass had written this book mm. that's kind of like the connection to the glass family that it has but it i need to look that his up brother dies technically right mm-hmm. ali ali i think is his name was and, and buddy uh, is like jd's uh persona in the glass family yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point, buddy. I think actually, Nicole, you were the one that told me about um, that because I it took me a long time to read the Carpenter intro, the, the oh, introduction. Oh, raise to high that. the roof beam, beams. The Carpenter. Yeah, I feel like Ugh. that one ties it all together. Totally. Like Franny and Zoe and Nine Stories, but um, mm. yeah, I think you're right on that. Kind of cool. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Interesting. That's- Really, really cool. So just <laughs> so for sounds like readers... I'm the bigger Selinger fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, but it does sound like uh, for readers who haven't, or listeners who haven't read any of JD's work or have only read Catcher in the Rye, because it is required reading in a lot of school districts, um, the, he wrote um, three other pieces, and they're each like no- novellas kind of. Uh, one, is, yeah, Franny and Zoe. Franny is a novella, Zoe is a novella, but they come together and it's the same book. And then he wrote Raise High the Roof Beams Carpenter and Seymour an Introduction, and that's two novellas in the same book. And then he also wrote Nine Stories, which are nine, nine short stories. stories. 
And those three books um, are just all about, like Brennan said, the Glass family who are in post-World War II America, um, working through the dynamics of like class, religion, spirituality, finding meaning in this new America, which is, you know, and it's really complicated where people do have mental illness and or where people can talk about mental illness. And so they talk about that. And there is trigger warning for anyone. We're going to talk about suicide a lot probably in these mm-hmm. two while we're talking about this because that is kind of the crux of the issues here. And so there's a guy in the Glass Family books named Buddy and he's the, one of the older brothers and he's like a writing teacher and he's kind of writing and narrating their whole family. So Eden was sharing that Buddy possibly was also writing Catcher in the Rye in this meta way totally. to explain his family relationship, which is really interesting and just like, mm, love that. We can end mm-hmm. here. Love that. <laughs> Eden. Eden. Um, so, yeah. So, does anyone want to give a little, like, summary of Catcher in the Rye? I could. I, I, I Yeah, oh. go. Yeah. No, you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was okay. surprised it only took place over, like, just over 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, it's about Holden Caulfield. He is a 16, 17-year-old boy who just got kicked out of another private school. And he has till Wednesday before his parents find out to figure out what to do with himself. So he kind of just kicks around New York City. Um, he's pretty depressed, <laughs> and you can <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can tell that. And he 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 kind of spirals. Um, and and it's mostly internal monologuing. Um, and he, he talks about wanting to be. Well, he's he's disaffected by the adult the the life that he could <clears throat> cut that the out. The system in place. The system. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The system. Yeah. This, he's disaffected by the system, by the adults in his life, by a bunch of phonies in his life, um, yeah. and he very much um, wants to hold on to not necessarily him hold on to childhood and innocence, but protect other. Ki- people um innocence uh by being a catcher in the rye um he probably has the most pos- his most positive relationship is probably with his younger sister phoebe and um yeah it kind of it's not very like plot driven it's just him wandering mm-hmm. through the city and it, yeah, it's very stream amusing. of conscious. Yeah. Very stream of I'd conscious. Argue, there is an Odyssey kind of thing, though, because he keeps, he has like multiple little adventures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he gets, I don't know if he has any realizations with those adventures, but he just, we're seeing him get more and more depressed or seeing him spiral a little bit more. Like he hires a prostitute, but he doesn't yeah. do anything with her. He just wants to talk to her. And that like depresses him. And he goes out on a date with a girl who he used to really be attracted to. And like she's wearing like her like little, ice skating outfit and he's like this is so stupid you're the dumbest and then he like you know he just keeps doing these little tiny adventures throughout the night um and i would say until he ultimately ends up like the more he communicates with people i don't know the more like jaded he becomes Mm -hmm. by everyone around him it's like he's like reaching out he's like i want to i want help uh but then when people actually do give him the attention he's like that's that's not... He invalidates it, I would say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
I think he and, invalidates it, and the people don't actually listen to him. Like, all of the adult conversations that he has, they're all just lectures. Mm, good point, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no one actually takes the... Yeah, they just don't take the time to actually listen to him. Even his friend that he called up that was like, hey, meet me at the bar at 10 p.m., he comes in and he's like, I've only got two minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, there's probably a reason why this boy is calling you to the bar <laughs> at 10 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. And the only person that he finds, like, sanity or peace in is his younger sister, Phoebe, yeah. who he's just like, yeah, our family's nuts. Let's go. And they, like, they, they go to the Natural History Museum in New York. Yeah. And, like, they have these really sweet, tender things. It's really interesting, like, all that imagery of them finding, like, a lot of, like, peace in these tiny little moments with each other. Because she's also, like, wiser beyond her years, too. And she knows something's up with her brother. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting. But it's, like, all on hanging on the crux of the fact that his older brother um, died by... Oh, it's cancer! Cancer. Yeah, leukemia. It's cancer! Mm-hmm. As an adult reading this, it made me kind of... And it's probably the era, you know. <laughs> They're probably like, what the heck, Holden? Why can't you get it together? It's like, oh, <laughs> NBD. Eden. Like, my brother died of cancer and, like, a kid from my school just committed suicide. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I'm flunking out of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't and- believe that he's able – These are. this is what constitutes as him needing to go to – uh, mental facility though. I'm like, man, this is what qual- qualifies? Yeah. If that's the case, we all deserve to be in there. He's just yeah. having a hard night. That's all. Yeah. Bad I think also like mental illness, like acknowledging it was so new then after the yeah. war. Mm-hmm. And I think like the wealth that we had too was like, well, why would you be sad then? Your family's wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like America's economy is doing great. You know, we've got the whole 1950s vibe. And so I think, like, that must have just been really complicated for society to, like, sort out. And J.D. Salinger talks a lot about, he doesn't talk a lot about it, but historians talk a lot about how he came back from the war because he served in World War II. He came back, like, really traumatized and had a lot of, uh, like, very much so, had very serious PTSD, got really involved in Eastern religions, and was like a writer but like just did not like it just was really really hard like you can tell he's writing about his own mental illness and all of this stuff i guess this takes place in the well i guess if it's published in the 50s you can surmise that it's taking place in the 40s maybe because he does read i mean he he's reflecting the whole book is literally him talking about how he got into the facility to begin with um but i think it's a highly interpretable ending i think a lot of people I think a lot of people gravitate towards, like, the negative side. Like, this is the beginning of um, something destructive. I think that's even, like, someone dooms him in the book. Uh, But I do think that there's also, like, a you can perceive it as, like, this is him, in fact, grappling with reality, finally. Um, Even though he still thinks people are fake and phony, he devalues it. I still think that, I don't know, he's in the beginning stages of hopefully getting back on his feet so that he can like get to a functioning space in his life maybe that's just me projecting i don't know <laughs> i don't think that's you projecting i think that's fair well because the whole he is really hopeful though like he still yeah. has this like bit of hope and that's why he wants to be catcher in the rye because like the image is that there's a oh, field yeah. of rye and that there's like rocks on the end or like it drops off and he wants to make sure none of the no kids drop off just because they can't see the end so he wants to catch them before they fall so there's still like a community piece <laughs> 
in there, you know, and there's still like, there's still a, an aspect of hope and goodness in the way he looks at the yeah, world. He's, he's definitely Even if to, it's not big. Yeah. He's, he's definitely trying to like grapple with some sense of control over what's going on around him. I definitely think that he's got this like very, uh, destructive worldview, of course, which I think happens a lot to, don't mean to bring up the gender card, but men in the 50s, men in the 40s, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it was like having to go through um, all of that, mostly because of the fact that they did not have access to um, modern psychology or mental health practices in any way. Mm -hmm. So as much as I would love to say, like, Men will do anything in order to not to avoid <laughs> therapy. As much as I'd love to say that, <laughs> like that's not an excuse for these people because it's not uh, they don't have access to it. So it's really interesting yeah. having to see him navigate all of this on his own. And therapy was also very new. Like it was still like so elementary. Like yeah, I don't know. Like, did they know how to handle... Like, cause exactly. I think it was dangerous it it, practice to begin with. There's yeah. a reason why there's negative stigmatism towards mental health, and it's yeah. because of its history, for sure. Yeah. Like, Salinger, at the end of the war, he did... He was in in uh, Europe, and he was part of uh, the team that went into Dachau. And Salinger is half Jewish, so mm. that alone... And he ended up checking himself into a... Let me find it exactly, and I'll, I'll link this as well. Yeah, do that. Um, he, this is a PBS article about who J.D. Salinger was. Um, but before he left Europe, he checked himself into a facility, a psychic ward in Europe um, for a time just because he just couldn't. It was just too much. Yeah. So and then he came back to America, still wasn't healed, still didn't really like, you know, it wasn't like a one time fix. Like it was so he really did have serious, serious PTSD. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think like. And you see that he's writing that and he becomes a recluse. Like no one can interview him. No one can talk to him after he writes these books. No one sees him again. He's like, he is isolation at that point. Yeah. And people are like, is it because he just like was like too cocky with his fame and all this other stuff? And I think he's just like, he just couldn't handle it. And people would go up to him because they're like, you wrote about me. I want you to fix my problem. And they'd view him as like a religious leader almost because he did write about religion so much. Yeah. And it was just too much pressure is what one of, like, the interviews of his contemporaries said, which is interesting. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I think the things that he's talking about is, in his book are, like, highly vulnerable and very complex. I would imagine someone like himself. I mean, I'm shot in the dark. He's probably an introvert of some sort, very shy or <laughs> off-putting. But, like, yeah, I would imagine that could be very overstimulating for someone to have to constantly be... Uh, feeling like they need to save someone, which also makes me think that maybe he, maybe J.D. Salinger actually did heal that wound of feeling like he needed to be the catcher in the rye. I'm accusing him of that. That's probably not even true, um, but that could be the case as well. I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> oh, whoa, Sorry, whoa, didn't whoa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> didn't mean to go there. Oops. Oh. Oops. Hot, hot comments. Well, it's like a savior <laughs> complex, right? He may right? have. He needs, I mean, yeah. He feels like he needs to save the children. He feels like he needs to have some sense of control because a, a dysregulated nervous system, my guess, he's very, yeah. he feels like, oh, and uh, yeah, since I wasn't protected, right, uh, uh, all these bad things happen to me, I'm going to try and um, be that person for other people, even though he has such a warped sense of reality 
you know, he's got such a negative spin on it that trying to be the catcher wouldn't even, that wouldn't happen. Like, it wouldn't catch, it would catch up to him. <sighs> yeah, Phoebe has to live her own life. <laughs> exactly, He yeah. can't save her, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because it is, yeah, he's talking about Phoebe in that part, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hot commentary. I love Phoebe. Yeah, <laughs> just like Phoebe's dope. Like, it, in a way, she was, yeah, she was a catcher for Holden. Because Holden was about to just, like, take off. He promised her that he would stay till Friday to go to her school play. But instead, he panicked and decided he was going to move out west, but decided to say goodbye to her. And, like, his last moments with Phoebe before the book kind of ends were him watching her on a merry-go-round, suspended in this moment of circling, going nowhere, but kind of happy in that moment. Oh, I love that, yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. definitely... That's a good point, actually, because especially because like the uh, like the carousel, I guess, metaphor, maybe or a device, I should say, maybe is interesting because he also is like in the museum and he's like looking at things that never change and they're always in boxes. And he like looks at them in, I guess, a romantic way. But that's also but just because he's craving for less change in his life because he wants to be able to at least I don't know, process it a little bit easier. That's mm-hmm. why I do think that carousel is such a hope, like a thing that brings him hope a lot because he's like, there's some way that I can internalize all of this, even though this is obviously reading between the lines because mm-hmm. the big part of the book is that he's very unaware of what's going on and us as readers, we're just kind of like analyzing his behavior and seeing how he's even unaware of how disturbed he is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phoebe, Phoebe's a great... I'm glad she came in. She came in clutch at the end. Yeah. I'm glad she came in. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot that she, because the last time I read this was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember not liking this book, actually. Mm-hmm. I do thoroughly enjoy it now, having read it the second time. And I think it's because I've had experience with mental illness now. <laughs> Whereas, totally. like, in high school, I'm like, this boy's just complaining. Like, just pull mm-hmm. himself by his bootstraps and he'll get through it. And, you know, not understanding just the world of mental illness and how totally. isolating it is and how, like, he had those moments of wanting to reach out to, or where he did reach out to people and no one gave him what he needed. Like what you said earlier, Nicole, just, like, slowly losing faith in humanity through the different individuals that he he tried to connect with but it was always just missed for one reason or another whether it was because of him misinterpreting something or if if it's because the other people are not listening to him at all yeah and just like oh yeah you nailed it for sure that's definitely that's definitely part of it i think that's the whole Mm -hmm. formula of the book for sure it's just like this like chaotic spiral of him constantly trying to reach for connection or a sense of belonging in any way and uh, constantly being either rejected or uh, uh, disgusted. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's a, his default emotion is just like, ew, the whole time. <laughs> like, just like, ew, no. I don't remember like Inside Out, that movie where there are like yeah. all emotions. His, uh, the leader just of disgust. that one is disgust. Yeah. <laughs> ew, no, I can't. No. <laughs> Two things I think are interesting that I think about a lot. 
are first he had gray hair and that's Mm -hmm. why he could get into the bar and hire those prostitutes without them knowing that he was like so young and he talks about his gray hair a lot how he like grayed really early the second thing was the ducks when he's in the taxi there's like a couple i think it happens twice Mm -hmm. where he sees these ducks and he just starts freaking out about them like he starts yeah. panicking and kind of like trying to wonder what's going to happen to them. And he asks like the taxi driver about them. And the taxi driver's like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because it's very poor little rich girl energy. Like I feel yes. like if Holden was a real life person, I think Andy Warhol would have been obsessed with him. Like he would have very <laughs> much been in that realm. And that was such an archetype that didn't. It kind of existed with, like, Gene Harlow and different characters in the 30s and those movies. But I don't really feel like we saw it go into full force until the 60s. And I don't know if, if I don't know if, like, J.D. Salinger, like, created that vibe or, like, influenced that vibe. But there is that thing of, like, like, I don't think Wes Anderson would exist today the oh, way he sure. does without, <laughs> without J.D. Salinger. Because the Glass family is the royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, he's written every single character they have is... There is a piece of the Glass family or Holden Rushmore Caulfield in every very, one of them. Yeah, Rushmore is also very JD sounding. He's Holden, yeah. Like the whole thing. It's all very like elite, elite world. These are wealthy people who are weirdly involved in the entertainment business yeah. and are have money, but are also very like emotionally and spiritually um well versed and aware of the world around them and have like done the work and are are For seeking sure. spiritual awakening. Um, but also are like deeply troubled, (laughs) like nothing can buy them out of it. And it is like, I really do like the glass family is the Royal tenant bomb. So it's like, come on, come on, JD, come on, Wesley. I mean, he says how his brother was like very intelligent for me. That's the flag. I'm like, Oh, that's a JD Salinger, uh, trope (laughs) because there's always, there's tons of, uh, highly intellectual children involved with, I would say, yeah, a lot of the books. I mean, how old is Franny in Franny and Zoe? She's she's a teenager. She's, yeah, a teenager. she's a teenager being disaffected. Yeah. She's like laying on a couch and like reading that Pilgrim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, these kids are yeah. dealing with it. But I also yeah. like, I guess, with historical context, um, the reason why I think I appreciate books from this time period is because um, we are actually delving into the psyche a lot more. We're trying to understand what's going on in our brains. This is purely situational. He isn't really going into or reading in between why he feels the way he feels. Um, That introspection, I guess I should say, it's like pre-introspection. But I do think, yeah, the war, World War I and also World War II, I think definitely shaped the way uh, JD, of course, JD's um, characters were because he was affected by the war as well, like you said. And it really mirrors America. Like, truly, I really do Mm -hmm. think it mirrors, like, the things that we we show and how we dealt with it. Like, there was wealth. The the Caulfield family was loaded. They got money from, like, all their higher connections and all this other stuff. And that, but, like, they're all very troubled, too. (laughs) Like, they have disease in their family. They have really serious issues and they don't know how to deal with any of it now. These are all new problems for this family. And, like, same with the Glass family. Like, the mom and dad are just, like, well, why, why don't you just get up? Why don't you just do your thing? And all the kids are like, it's more complicated than that now. <laughs> we have more information. Like, I can't just be famous. I can't just be successful. Like, the parents did everything to set their kids up for success. 
And the kids are like, we can't just do that because it's more complicated because what is the worth of a soul if it's Absolutely. on stage and you can't even feel anything? And the parents are like, we don't, I genuinely do not know how to help you. Like, <laughs> this is like, crazy. I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared for it like as yeah. essential dread. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. taught to me. Yeah, we prepared you, we gave you everything that we didn't have. We're like immigrant parents. We did everything we could and you guys are still unhappy just because of life. Like, yeah, and I yeah, just yeah. feel like that it is such like, yeah, I don't know, but the Catcher in the Rye, to me, is interesting because it is banned so often. People are so upset about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Um, and for me, when I read it in high school, it was the first time I realized that the feelings that I felt weren't unique, that I think I had depression. Yeah. I had no idea that that's what that was until I found out that he went to like an institution at the end. And I was like, oh yeah, I really identify with Holden right now. And like, I have kind of, yeah, I was like, no, I hear you Holden. That's stupid. That's dumb. Her skirt's dumb. Yeah. All this is the worst. Like I was very much like on board. And then at the end I was like, oh shoot. Gotcha. He wasn't well, neither am I probably. (laughs) Yeah. But it was the first time I ever realized that. And the first time I was able to talk to my parents about it, like. So without that book, I probably would have just been like, I'm just smarter than everybody else. <laughs> I'm just deeper. I just feel deeply. That's what Which this is whole how yeah, that's how he feels problematic about the world too. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. That's why I identified. I was like, yes. And I date. I really went through a phase where I dated guys that were very Holden Caulfieldy. Oh, totally. Which is why I've lost a lot of friends to suicide because I've dated a lot of guys that were just my little Holden Caulfields and. Yeah, it's Dang, really like yeah. so. There's there's a lot there, yeah. but I don't think I'm unique in that experience. I really think there's a lot of girls who are looking for their Holden Caulfield because there's something about the book that's just really like it feels real. It feels like a religious book. The way he writes makes you yeah. feel like he understands your soul, and mm-hmm. that is where it gets weird for us. Anything post war is so interesting to read because one mental health was so new. No one no one had words for it. Literally, this man wasn't even able to put to words what he was experiencing, well, he, what he was experiencing what would, versus what he was feeling about it. And you see that a lot. And I, I call this like a, this is like a boy book because it's like literally, I've got it right here, how cute. <laughs> um, this book is written in the perspective of, yeah, of the boy. But I think it's interesting how a lot of uh, girls, especially in high school, also can kind of really relate to this. And there's, I don't know, there's gender stuff in here. That one guy that was like, he felt was very effeminate and mm-hmm. he was very threatened by it. And there's also mm-hmm. um, his his teacher who I genuinely think that wasn't supposed to be something creepy where he's um, like stroking his head or something. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, of course it's creepy because like that is a boundary that he should not have crossed. Uh, yeah. But I think of it more as like he probably sees Holden as someone like he sees a lot of himself in in Holden and and being disillusioned by everything and disaffected. Holden responds with such animosity that he feels threatened, which would make sense. It's just interesting how he responds to male, I won't say affection, but just like male expression in general, which I feel like a lot of men were probably very threatened by back then, which makes it even a more violent experience for LGBT people back then, I think. And this is also McCarthyism. This is also, he talks about this paranoia with the atom. So we've got Uh Cold War. We've got Cold War (laughs) stuff too. All of it. It's crazy. I can't imagine, can't imagine, which is why I think I, I pay close attention to this time period in history yeah. just because it's so interesting i think it does reflect a lot and it parallels what we're going through in today's world a lot too so yeah yeah 
Do you think Holden could be queer? Um, I always love to read books with that kind of lens just to kind of see if there yeah. is some kind of interpretation, and absolutely. <laughs> yes. I absolutely <laughs> do, too. I absolutely mm-hmm. do, too. Bisexual, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, we're not putting words on it we're because... We're not going to out him. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to out him. Yeah, um, he's pretty... But yeah. Like, from the What's beginning, that? he's just, like, really disgusted by how his roommate treats girls. Um, mm-hmm. And then also kind of... Well, he's also disgusted by how girls react to boys like that, too. Um, Absolutely. Like, slut shames him, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah, I think he's a complex person. And I think the point you brought up about the boundaries is it is good because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that is an obvious boundary. I do think that the way I interpreted it was that teacher was like, you're, you're in a dark place. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. just want you to know that I am a human that sees you. But we also know that, and I don't know if you both know this, I might be dropping a bomb on you. Throw that bomb. That J.D. Salinger has some major boundary issues. <laughs> Big time. How um, so? He... So there was this woman, and I'm just going to clarify, we're not, in, we're not doing cancel culture, hence this yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, J.D. Salinger's books are still my favorite books of all time, and I still read them when I need comfort and when I need community and communion, and when I need to be reminded that like I can find peace in things and that I'm not alone. I'm probably not going to put a poster of J.D. Salinger in my room, and I'm probably not going to hang out with him <laughs> ever if he uh-huh. had wanted to before he died. There are some similarities between him and Woody Allen in that he kind of harbored obsession with young women and also kind of fetishized them. And there was this woman who, in 2018, her name was Joyce Maynard. Maynard. She was a teenager, and she had an affair with J.D. Salinger. And he was 53, and she was um, 18 years old. And um, she was of age, so that's good. But um, this was in the 1970s. He invited her to live with him. She wrote. He wrote her all these letters and things like that, and he invited her to live with him. And then there was a lot of, like, forced sexual experiences and confusing situations. And I don't know with that power dynamic if anything could be considered truly consensual. Mm-hmm. We don't have to get into power dynamics and sexuality. Um, but anyways, no. after, like, after a few – after, like, almost a year – he kicked her out and just gave her like two fifty dollar bills and told her that all of her stuff had to be out of the house immediately and it was like a really horrible thing. After she had written this like op ed about it in the New York Times, people started calling her a predator Jeez. of JD Salinger's because she was a seducer Wait. and was trying to malign his name because Oof. he's so beloved, right? Because he did write these really, really important books for all of us. So oh all goodness. of us people who have read this have been like Protect no him way. at all costs, yeah. Yes, because he he needs to be protected. But I think, like, it's super disappointing. Thanks. I think there's a lot of people. There's a New York Magazine article called J.D. Salinger's Woman that you can look up. There's a New York Times article called Was She the Predator or the Prey about Joyce Maynard. Um, and I'll, I can link all of these for sure. But it seems like he just didn't, like... He feels like Holden Caulfield, where he was trying to find answers or comfort in all these places that were inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had of, this like, power dynamic. Within, for sure. Yeah. That- Even though he was so religious. Like, he found Vedantic religion mm. and did the Eastern, Eastern religious stuff. He still... Was looking for that external validation. Still craving Yeah. That. Still needing that. So, he was problematic, but... I don't think that's why this book has been banned. I don't think it has anything to do with J.D. Salinger's character. I don't think so. If they were trying to cast the 18-year-old girl as the predator. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't have that much of an argument. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So many people did, mm-hmm. like, totally maligned her. It was super sad. But that's really, Unfortunately, really interesting. Unfortunately, it's not... It, it makes sense. Like, I'm not surprised to hear that kind of information. I never yeah. had heard that. Um, yeah. But I am also not surprised due to the fact that a lot of his characters do deal with that um, sense of uh, Peter Pan syndrome. They feel like they yes. have this need to fulfill childlike wonder or curiosity. Um, too bad they just, like, never know, like, where that boundary is. He, he was just catcher in the rye. He was just protecting her from, you know. <laughs> well, also, not to be it's like. manipulation. That's what it, it sounds way. like. Manipulation. Yeah, totally. Well, and we see someone who had severe PTSD, yeah. mm-hmm. who had a lot of reclusive things, who was very antisocial, had a lot of issues, who did not get the help that he needed. Yeah. And so, like, that's horrible, and it, it's, it doesn't excuse his behavior at all. But it is just, like, a call out to, like, we really need to help people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we really need to. <laughs> yeah, and we also need to stop doing, like, celebrity worship because, yeah. Because yeah. her whole thing, even during the Me Too movement, she was like, can I, am I allowed to share my experiences that happened? And Wait, people were like, Joyce no. Leonard? Yeah. Oh, she's, mm. she was still around for Me Too? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. She that released her... Yeah, so, um, yeah, but people were still like, no, you can't. <laughs> no, Jeez. absolutely not. Yeah. Not him. Yeah, so there's that. Which is Not JD super... with the kind eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the pretty-eyed JD Salinger. <laughs> <laughs> so messed up. But, um, yeah, it just sucks. I hate it. I'm like, can you guys just be better? Can you all just be better? Also, also... negative impact. This could have been a reason why it was banned. Um, wasn't it like a main source for Marilyn Manson or someone, someone. <gasps> it was uh, the, the guy who the JFK one. Lennon. Right? No, John Lennon. No, Lennon, John Lennon. Go on. Mm. I think a lot of people um, cited Catcher in the Rye as the reason, uh, shooters <laughs> Googling <laughs> some weird things. I think a lot of people ca- like did this. Him, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to find it. Cause I think it's been cited as a cause for many different murders. Yes. Which is but super the, sad. Can you imagine being J.D. Salinger, you're doing yeah. your thing, and then this guy's like, I had to kill John Lennon, and I love, and my favorite book is this book. Like, that <laughs> that would truly... in itself sounds like a really good story. I would love to, I would lo- love to watch the biopic about yeah. J.D. <laughs> sure, sure, finding sure. out about sure, sure, that. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So, mm. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind no, of No, wait, he had, anthem. Robert John Bardo also had the book with him. When he killed this actress. That is, oh my gosh. What okay, so probably is... if you really, really relate to this book, you might want to talk to a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm getting from this convers- yeah. conversation. <laughs> I know. I just think we need, we need better health care. Bill Gates <laughs> said that The Catcher in the Rye is one of his favorite books. Should we oh, keep an no. eye on him? Oh, no. We should keep an eye on him. Kim Kardashian? What? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's why she got that bob. (laughs) Timothy Chalamet is kind of our eternal Holden Caulfield, though. Oh, he is. I'm just going to throw that out there. Let's also talk about why why hasn't there been... I mean, of course there's not a movie because, like, you can tell JD is is disgusted by Hollywood with how he treats 
or perceives his brother, his older brother. Oh, that's right. He has an older brother and a younger brother and then the youngest sister. That's the family makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like analyzing that stuff, too. That makes sense. Yeah, the older like, brother... I hate Hollywood. Yeah, the <laughs> older brother is a writer who... He, uh, that, who, who Holden says has turned into a phony and is now working for Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I wonder... Yeah, JD probably has a very negative perception on Hollywood. I think that's... Well, even... What's that? Sorry. No, no go I was gonna say, even at the beginning of the book, I think it says in the copyright that no one's allowed to make do a remake of this ever. Got it. Got it. Um, that makes like sense. Like he made it really clear on each publication. But wouldn't that be great? This would be a good mini series. I'd love this. Not even a I'd no. Love you could it. actually make this into a bite-sized movie. You could probably fit it all in one movie. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I'd love it. I'd love uh, it. Yeah. Um, I need Apparently to read. Joyce state the. Oh, oh go ahead. Apparently, Joyce Maynard said, the only person who might ever have played Holden Caulfield would have been J.D. Salinger. Whoa. She hasn't met Timothy Chalamet, though. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, real quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Davis Chapman shot John Lennon, and he had the book. He, yeah, he was reading the novel when the police arrested him. Oh. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's weird. And he said that most of him, that he was convinced that most of him was Holden Caulfield and that the rest of him must be the devil. Whoa. And then the second was John Hinckley Jr. was the murderer and he had tried to kill Ronald Reagan. And he emphasized, the attacker, yeah, John Hinckley Jr. was like, I loved Holden Caulfield. And yeah. then Robert John Bardo had the book on his person when he killed the actress. So, so I'm going to go back in and edit that because I got it really wrong. I said, you know. Look, it's okay know. to be disillusioned in life. People, this is, I'm, I'm trying to talk to everybody here. <laughs> it's okay to be disillusioned. It's absolutely okay. But that does not justify right. that kind of behavior. Um, men would rather kill someone with the book of J.D. Salinger in their back pocket than just go to therapy. I tried my hardest yeah. not to say that joke this whole time. <laughs> Men would rather blank than go to therapy is the best for American literature. I also think that when you guys said it's like the incel book, who, who said that? I said that. Thank you for remembering it's, that because I totally forgot about it. It's horrifying and I do it think is. it's true and it's so sad. Ugh. It isn't incel glorified. Well, it doesn't glorify it. I just think it shows what it does look like to be an incel or mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say, or a re- a a male recluse recluse i think is how you pronounce it recluse i think <laughs> i don't know i think it's very interesting to see how i would yeah i'd love a sequel i'd love a sequel to see where where he's at love but, a sequel yeah yeah me too me too no need to no need to i think perks of being wallflower is kind of our sequel for our generation oh that's true, true. that's true for i mean sure. yeah, yeah charlie's definitely a much more sympathetic character than holden I also think that, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I think Perks of Being a Wallflower ties up Catcher in the Rye in such a nice way because it at least shows that, like, if you mm-hmm. are in this situation, there is a way to maneuver through it. And I also think that the book writes about when you're experiencing that yeah. fight or flight mode, I guess is what they call that. Yep. This kid is constantly fighting or flighting or fawning. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I love having an expert in the social work world here with us. 
Great I point. try. I I try not being annoying, but it is something I couldn't no. help uh, reading or realizing too. I guess while I was reading it too. No, but, I love that. Um, I I'd love that knowledge because seriously, I just had no idea he had issues until the very end. <laughs> yeah, like pay attention to the <laughs> details kid, in your yeah. life. If you're fixated on uh, ducks in a pond, maybe there's something there. Maybe you're, <laughs> maybe your brain is really trying to understand what's going on in your life. <laughs> maybe it is. Um, do you want to guess why? Should we close up and do our final thing, Eden? Let's do it. Or we make our guesses? Yes, yes. Okay, we're going to guess why it was banned. Unless you, anyone else has more things to say about this book and the I'm legacy good. of JD. <laughs> what does JD stand for? I'm going to guess it's Junior. John David. John Dunbar. <laughs> John Dunbar. <laughs> is that what you said, Nicole? Oh, this is interesting. No, I said John David, but John Dunbar is oh. a way better guess. I do not think you're going to know what this stands for. Jeremy I just looked at Daniel. Up. Yeah, what is it? It's Jerome. Oh. Jerome <laughs> David. You would never have guessed. Jerome Davis. Okay. Mm-hmm. David. David. Yes. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Jerome. Okay. Jer- um, Jerry. What? Really. Yeah, really, Jerry. Jerry. If we're gonna, <laughs> if we're gonna break it down, if we're gonna get Jerry to brass tacks, his name is really Jerry Salinger. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you guys? Okay, so I think it was banned just because of language, because he swears like a sailor. That boy. That Holden boy. Yeah, I think language, he talks about sex, and there's that prostitute. And there was a moment he, either he or he was talking about his brother comparing, probably his brother, because his brother went to war, but um, comparing the U.S. Army to Nazis. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, they weren't as good. Like, we weren't better than the Nazis in a lot of ways. Right. Hmm, Nazi sympathizer. Didn't realize that. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <very> Anti-American military. <laughs> uh, for sure, yeah, for sure what you guys said. I also think he references his atheism. I think he explicitly says that he's an atheist. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. But that, that would probably be something that a lot of people were scared about back in the day. So that's probably why mm-hmm. it was banned as well. But yeah, mainly the amount of swearing in the book was probably the main, the main source of disturbance. It, it depends on where you're raised. Obviously, I was born in Cal- born and raised in California. I did my education there. I felt I, because of my background, I felt like I was, I was aware of censorship. I was very censored, a lot growing up. But I do think for some reason I got away <laughs> with reading <laughs> these really really good books in high school. I guess. Yeah. And I do think that helped me have a better sense of reality around me, or it helped me be a little yeah. more grounded by having such relatable, unfortunately relatable uh, stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that this book is not as bad as what you get in high school. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. I have one fun fact for you guys, though, or two fun facts before we get the answers. Mm-hmm. Just a little teasers. He dated Una O'Neill, who's Eugene O'Neill, the playwright's yes. daughter. And then she broke up with him when she started dating Charlie Chaplin and married Charlie Chaplin. Wow. So he got dumped for Charlie Chaplin. And then after that, in late 1941, pre-World War II, like pre-him serving in the war, Mm -hmm. he worked on a Caribbean cruise ship serving as an activity director (laughs) 
and possibly a performer. So he had quite the big personality. And then I think the war, I, like, there's something extroverted about that if he was performing on a cruise ship. Yeah. yeah I'm just going to throw that out right. there. Feels yeah, very or being family. part of the ac- <laughs> activity director. Yeah, he was Are entertaining people. Are you the glass family right now? Yeah. Eden is. Eden is. Because doesn't, so, isn't the last story in Nine Stories that, like, once again, that, like, highly intelligent child is on a yeah. cruise ship? Yes. Yes, <laughs> And then it, it is. speculates if he, like, kills that. Oh, that one's a good one. I need to yes. that story. It's the last that of is the a good Nine one. Stories. That is a good one. Yeah, and then he became a hardcore Zen Buddhist in the 1940s, so. And then was There's seduced by an 18-year-old girl. Yeah. Right, was seduced. Seduced, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, That's right, a joke, right. everyone. That's a joke. It's a joke. We make jokes about this kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, okay, here are the reasons why it was censored. Um, okay. Yeah, between 1961 and 82... It was the most censored book in high schools and libraries in the United States. Some teachers were fired for assigning the novel in class. Oh, three members of a school board in Issaquah, Washington in 1978 alleged the book was part of an overall communist plot. Mm-hmm. McCarthyism. This ban yeah. did not last long, and the offended board members yeah. were immediately recalled and removed in a special election. That's awesome. It was, okay, let's see. The challenges generally, yeah, that one is interesting. Yeah, that one was interesting. Is it because of his red hat? (laughs) (laughs) Comrade? Yeah, his red hunting hat that he liked to wear backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm trying to understand the logistics of that because isn't there like a usually like a neck flap on those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I think I'm gonna look up some red hunting hats from that era right now. Yeah, please do. Get to the bottom of this. Challenges generally begin with Holden's frequent use of vulgar language. Other reasons include sexual references, blasphemy, undermining of family values and moral codes, encouragement of rebellion, and promotion of drinking, smoking, lying, promiscuity, and sexual abuse. Promotion of sexual abuse? Sexual abuse. I'm trying, I'm like thinking now. I know, I don't remember that. There's undertones, I guess. Maybe the way he... He did say that he was, like, something happened to him 20 times. When that guy touched him, he was like, I'm not, I'm oh, no longer yeah. pulling this out of my right. Right, right. Out of my head. I can't remember. But there is, like, there is an assumption that something possibly could have happened to the character prior to his brother dying as well. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. very subtle that these hints are put in there. And maybe not even yeah. that consciously as the writer's writing it. Yeah. And who knows, like, I don't know. I think that people didn't know how to talk about that back then either. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was no, there was no language for it. Mm Mm-mm. No language for it. So. Yeah, I love that. Undermined family values is a real interesting one. I love how you guys are centering this podcast around the banning of books and the reasons why. Because once you hear the reasons, it's so interesting how, like, these were things that one held up enough respect that it, like, moved people to not read and not, like, consume information. I don't know, it's so interesting having... Now that we have, like, technology at our hands, we can we can interpret things as far as the truth can take us. But back then, it was, like, you had to interpret 
things in such a different way. So it's, it's very interesting, and I love the fact that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Um, thank this you, podcast. Brandon. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're if family values one is interesting, because like that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, wanna, like exactly. family bold, matters bold, 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 a lot to me, but I don't know what family values means in the context of Catcher and the Rye, because all it seems like is that this boy needed help, and then his parents got him to an institution and got him help, and also moved him to lots of different facilities. And we never like, actually boarding we actually <laughs> never see him interact with his parents. Like we never mm-hmm. meet his parents. And he loves and his they, sister so much. Loves yeah. his sister, and the only thing his sister says about his dad is, "Dad's gonna kill you." Yeah, yeah which is fair, which is valid. He just ran away from his school. No, so, yeah, and it is interesting how many books we've read so far that do apparently fit that bill of, like, they they go against family values. I actually think these would have been more helpful for families. Yeah. Like, I, this gave me the opportunity to have this conversation with my parents about my mental health when I was in high school. Yeah, gave you the And words. to understand that my dad also had depression stuff and to also understand that other people in my family, like, had complicated feelings that we didn't know how to voice. Absolutely. Like that was, that gave that window for that. So it's mostly just been language and family values and communism. Yeah. <laughs> three, three big ones. No witchcraft in this one though. No witchcraft in this one. Yeah, thank no goodness. Witchcraft. That's too bad. Uh, a lot of imagine, Christmas. There's a Sounds lot of surprised. Christmas. At least he gave them Christmas. I mean, he's like an Eastern (laughs) philosopher. At least he referenced it, I guess. What else did they want? He did also, he did praise Jesus, like, not in like a praise Jesus kind of way, but in like a, Uh in like a, you know who wasn't a phony? Jesus wasn't a phony. (laughs) Wait, does he say that in the book? He does. He does. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. He's funny. At least he's funny. Yes. Well, J.D. Hellinger talks about Jesus in his Glass Family stories also, in the same realm of, like, he was an enlightened being. And yeah. if people were actually literal with Jesus, then maybe we'd get somewhere. Like, he very much is calling out American Christianity totally. a lot, which I'm sure people don't like. I actually didn't know that J.D. was raised... Did you say he was half Jewish? Are we talking, like, He's raised half in Jewish, the... but I don't know if that means that he uh, was religious at all in his right. Judaism. Like, if he worshipped. The psyche, though, I think. I don't know. Especially yeah, his dad... Oh! His grandfather was a rabbi. Yeah, his grandfather was a rabbi. Oh, no, no, grandfather. Thank you. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, his I'm grandfather sure. was a rabbi in Louisville, Kentucky. Even though J.D. was born and raised in Manhattan. That his is... grandfather was a Kentucky rabbi. Wow. But I think the fact that he did have a bar mitzvah. His mother changed his, um, her he name. Was in the sauce then, for sure. Lost in the, the, in the sauce. He um, was. Of Judaism. <laughs> he, was, he was deep in there. And I, I just can't even imagine being in Europe during World War II and fighting. Exactly. And being a Jewish American. Well, being Jewish at like all. A lot of, yeah, the world, world War I and II, of course. Yeah. I think that brought on a lot of disillusionment for a lot of people. I think... The American dream was on a wide scale, maybe deconstructed more. And a lot of people obviously saw how uh, reality was so cruel, uh, yeah. which is very hard um, when you cannot counterbalance that with something positive. Uh, because yeah. of the fact that the world seems cruel, it's hard to grasp at things that can help you move through life and help you feel like you're present in the moment, which clearly JD and uh, Holden were suffering with at one point in their life, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 I, the war, yeah. Yeah, war, man. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, war. war. War is hell, as I've heard it said. <laughs> <laughs>
as I've heard it said. Yeah. Oh, wait, really quick. Brendan, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I don't. I don't have anything to plug right now. Besides, if you're looking for someone with a mental health background, I am unemployed right now. So that'd be cool if that's a ability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> but I don't have a mental health background. I'm just a writer. <laughs> gonna still bend and thunder on this one we're both unemployed we could use we could really yeah. use a sponsorship from indeed.com right now yeah. or... or give us free premium linkedin either yeah, it's fine exactly. whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> brennan wait could you give us a little like just what was what were you doing before before your job transition has occurred like what what were the what job were you doing in the mental uh, health world good question i worked at yeah at a hospital on the behavioral health unit. So let's say you're a patient who feels like they are in danger of themselves or others. You go to the hospital, you check yourself into the ER, they do a psych evaluation on you. And then if you are equipped or if you fit the criteria to be on the psych unit, then you get put on the psych unit and you stay there until the doctor and staff feel as well as you, that you have a big part as the patient, you have a big part in the decision to leave as well. You guys decide when discharge will be. So it's a very short Mm. stay. People usually stay there for about seven days to two weeks. The emphasis is on med management and also getting those resources, tools, and information to the public on how to work with their their mental health situations that they're in. So... Yeah, I did that for a couple of years and it was uh, very enlightening. I think I learned a lot and uh, met a lot of cool people, a lot of interesting people. A lot of co- Holden Caulfields, actually, I would probably assume would fit in into that, that hallway that I worked at. So, yeah. What would you do? So if Holden's, if his evening had gotten extreme enough mm-hmm. and police had brought him to your hospital, mm-hmm. what would you have done? Like what, oh. what would be his first steps? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he would what does that look like? Yeah. So he would meet me first. Actually, the techs are usually the ones that meet them when they come in. We get them like situated. So dressed and ready. We confiscate all of their belongings. They're only allowed a specific amount of things. And then from there, it's a day-to-day schedule. So when they wake up, there's breakfast for them. They get all three meals handed to them. And then throughout the day, they either can rest off what they're experiencing. So if they are withdrawing, you can be in your room. If you are not, we do heavily recommend that you go to the groups. So it, it would start like a goals group in the morning where you set a simple goal that you can accomplish to get some kind of traction for confidence. And then there is a mental health education class, which is what I would teach every one of my shifts. I taught that group. So I would educate them on simple, like CB, CBT information, uh-huh. emotional literacy is a big one. I saw a lot of people get a lot of confirmation for what they were experiencing because they're not there to become better and become enlightened, but they are there to grab a foundation to kind of go back to reality with. So yeah, so it'd be throughout the day, they, they have groups, music groups, art groups, and then they have a group where they all talk about why they're there with, with a social worker. And then they meet with social work throughout the day and a doctor to go over possible or potential diagnoses. Because uh, that can really, really help narrow down what the problem is. For Holden Caulfield, I would probably say borderline 
that would be something I would look into if I was a, like a physician. I would definitely look into seeing if he had borderline personality disorder, but that's off subject anyways. So yeah, they go throughout the day. And then when the doctor and the staff feel like they're ready, they're ready to be discharged. So it's really, really smooth. It's a very smooth process. While you're there, you, what I see at least is a lot of people learn from other people's experience. It's a place for you to, at least the most effective thing for this, uh, for being on a psych unit is the sense of belonging that you get because you're dealing with an intense amount of isolation. By the time you get in there, it's so cohesive. Everyone, I worked there for two and a half, three years, and there was always people, um, uh, what do you call grouping together. And, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting to see the human experience that way. So, yeah. That's really, really awesome. It's really, in, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It is awesome. Do you have advice for people who are experiencing kind of a catch in the rye day <laughs> today? Yeah. yeah. If they're feeling that, absolutely reach out to someone you feel like can just listen. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to trauma dump on them if you feel like you just want to be in the present moment, because that's kind of the goal here. When we're feeling depressed, right, when we're ruminating, when we feel like we're anxious, when we feel like we don't have a sense of control, it's the most important thing that we can do is to get back to the present moment, to feel what it's like to be, yeah, in reality, a reality check, which is exactly what Holden needed. I think that's a big part of it. If let's say you reach out to someone and uh, you're not getting the help you need, for sure down the line, you might, you might wanna consider going to the emergency room and checking in with a professional there that can help. That would be in an emergency situation. If you're feeling, let's say you're having a down day, maybe it's time to consider therapy, just saying. <laughs> that can help out a lot. Because there, there's okay. things that therapists can do for sure that can help. Yeah. Love that. Thank, Thank you, you, Brendan. And then I just wanted to call out that they did change the suicide hotline number to be more accessible to 988 for if you feel like you or a loved one needs that. Absolutely, 988. Very good. I yeah. didn't know that they changed it. Mm-hmm. So that, that way it's not like accessible. a long string of numbers. Yeah. It's just 988. <laughs> yeah. Available 24 hours in English and Spanish. Yeah, yeah, I love good. that. Very good. Okay, I feel great. Mm -hmm. This was so wonderful. It's one of my favorite books of all time. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I got to. You guys asked me to be on here. This is a. This is for sure one of my faves as well. So I do appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Yay, you're welcome. Even <laughs> Thanks for joining. Awesome. You're welcome. I mean, thank you. <laughs> catch, catch you on next time. <laughs> good, good luck with your shift. <laughs> Burn This Book is produced by us, Nicole O'Corin and Eden Wen. Music written by me, Nicole O'Corin, and produced and performed by my dad, Frank.